What's up, everybody? This is your cousin, Isaac Curry. I'm so excited to be able to worship and to share a word of God with you on today. Today, we're going to strike a different tone. But first, let us just pause and thank God for our leaders in Jerry and Tanisha Flowers. I'm so grateful to have such gracious and generous people of God like them. Come on, all through the comment section on YouTube and Facebook. Let us show our appreciation for Redefine TV and what God is doing in this ministry. If you're on Facebook, make sure you hit that like or that love button, but don't stay on Facebook and not subscribe to this ministry. If you're on YouTube, I want to make sure you hit the thumbs up button, but please do not leave YouTube without subscribing to this ministry. I promise you, God is doing something powerful in this ministry. Come on, you all know it. You all can see it. You see God all in this ministry. So do me a favor. Let us keep both Jerry and Tanisha in our prayers as God is continuing to develop them and ascend them and doing new things in this new season. We're so grateful. We're grateful. We're grateful. Let me pray with you. God, we bless you. We thank you on today. You have a word for us. So God, please remove all distractions. We give you our undivided attention. Speak to us in a way that we can hear you. Convict us, convince us, convert us, encourage us, lift us up. Do anything and everything that you need to. Bring back to remembrance everything, God, that we have talked about in private. Bless your people publicly. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I'm excited. I'm excited. But I have a, I have a word for you. I'm going to come in a, different, in a different way, right? But I want to call your attention to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a very um, familiar passage of Scripture. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. I know that you've heard the story of the woman at the well so many times over. You don't want to hear it again because you know the story. But I want to go to this story. I want to re read it for you. And I want to give you some principles and some tips that will help you in this series, Cuffing Season 2.0. Cuffing Season 2.0. I'm excited about the word that God has for us on today. And there in John chapter 4, round about verse 5 through 19 and verses 25 to 26, I want to read to you the word of God. And there you'll find words very similar to these. It says, eventually Jesus came to the Samaritan village called Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well. Somebody type Jacob's well. Jacob's well was there and Jesus uh, was tired from a long walk. He sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me something to drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for something to drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift that God has for you. If only you knew. If only you had an idea of the gift that God has for you. And who it is that you're speaking to. You would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket 
and this is well, uh, it's very deep, and, and where would we get this living water? And Jesus, then he begins to, to talk to her, <laughs> and he says, anyone who drinks this water, verse 13, will soon become thirsty. Again, somebody type thirsty. Somebody type thirsty. He says, anybody who drinks this water, they'll become thirsty again. But those who drink the water, I will give them, they will never, ever be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir. Now watch this movement. Watch this movement. Watch this movement. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I will never be thirsty again. Somebody type, I'm thirsty. And I won't have to come here and get water. Then it gets real thick. You know the story, but I want you to walk with me because I don't want you to miss revelation that God has for you. Go and get your husband, Jesus says. I, 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 don't, I don't have a husband, Jesus. Then he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five of them. One, two, three, four, five. And as a matter of fact, the man that you're shacking up, the man that you're living with, the man that you're giving all your time and your attention to right now is not even your husband, but you're with him. Okay, that's what the text says. What the text says, then she says, you have certainly spoken the truth, sir. You must be a prophet. And you skip on to verse 25 and 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah is actually coming. I'm talking to the Messiah. I don't even realize it's the Messiah. She said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus, look at her, he says, I am the Messiah. Somebody type, amen. Go and get your husband. I, I, I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five of them. And the man you're with right now, the person you're in a relationship right now, you're living with, and that's not even your husband. It was 2006. I was in Princeton, New Jersey, in seminary. This was the first time technically in my adulthood that I had been away from my comfort zone, away from my tribe. I was in a location with people I didn't know, didn't look like me, didn't think like me. I was out of my comfort zone. I was away from my tribe. I was in seminary and there I was in seminary. The thing about where I was in New Jersey, I didn't have the luxury of going through my phone and scrolling through my Rolodex 2006 and finding a contact and sending a text message and saying, hey, What's up, girl? You acting funny? I, I didn't have the privilege to be able to text in a call and to ask someone to come over and to fill the void of conversation. I, I didn't have the luxury to send a text message or to someone and say, hey, you know, I hadn't talked to you in a while. Can, can, can we connect? I, for the first time in my life, in my adulthood, I found myself in an unfamiliar context where I did not have the privilege and the ability to connect with any person, the opposite sex, and communicate with them in a way that I was always accustomed and comfortable for me. Because in my life, up until that point, I didn't realize I had always been in a relationship. 
When I leave one relationship, it was just easy to enter into another relationship. And if that relationship didn't work, then I have the privilege and the benefit to be able to talk to someone else. And that person can satisfy a void of me wanting to have someone in my space. And so this is the pattern of my entire adolescent and adulthood. Someone was always able to fill the void until I arrived in Northeast of the United States, and now I couldn't call anybody. I couldn't link up with anybody. I didn't know anybody around me. And now for the first time, I'm by myself. And it felt, what it really felt like was that I was having withdrawals. Hard to sleep, mood swings, I, I just, I can't focus. I can't concentrate because I, I'm, I'm alone. I, I just, I'm so used to having someone who I can talk to, somebody I can call, someone we could just, just take up time. And now I'm in New Jersey. I'm in seminary and I'm all by myself. I looked like I was doing fine, but God was doing something inside of me. And, and one day I had an encounter, an awakening. I'm moody, I'm in my bedroom, I'm in my dorm, and, 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 and I just wasn't feeling right. And I stood right there in front of the mirror, in front of my door, and I just started weeping. What's the, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm, I'm, I'm irritable, I, and I'm crying in front of the mirror. And then God started to speak to me. And then God began to reveal to me for the very first time in my life, I'm in a situation where I cannot hunger after relationships the way I used to because I was in a habit of hungering and feeling appetites with people more than, it, than I was with God. I'm crying. I'm weeping. What's wrong with me? I'm, I'm, I'm like a feline looking for someone for the slightest stroke of attention. And God began to do a work in me and what I did not realize up until that moment that I, Isaac Curry, in ministry at the time, was addicted to relationships. For a moment, I just want to talk to you from the subject. I'm going to use as my platform to be able to provide to you some principles that I believe will impact you. Don't disconnect. Don't, no, don't, don't hit the dial because God has a word for you. Somebody type, I'm addicted to relationships. I know, I know this doesn't apply to you. you. You know somebody who it might apply to, so just listen for them because what I have to share with you will be able to help you because even when I look at this text, I'm not going to do a very deep exegesis in this message. I'm going to hit differently. Class is in session. Because when I'm looking at this woman at the well, yes, the story is very familiar. She had a high relationship turnover in her life. The ratio of the relationship turnover in her life was so high. And the question that I'm led to ask is, what was wrong with her? What was wrong in this situation to the point where she could not keep a relationship down? She'd been married once, twice, three times, four, five times, and she's with someone who is practicing on becoming a marriage again. And if I were consulting and talking with her and sitting down and having a conversation with her, I'm sure she would say something like something to me like, I, I keep picking wrong. 
She'll say, I, I'm, I'm lonely. I, I always seem to attract the wrong type of men. I, I mean, every time, I mean, every, she would give us all of the reasons why she had this high relationship turned over. But when I saw her, I saw myself. Here I am, 2006, not realizing that I had an issue with being alone and relationships was always premium in my life. And so looking at this text, there's so many other things I wanted to talk to you about. But today I want to talk to you about I'm addicted to relationships in this series, Cuffing Season. Cuffing Season, but I'm addicted to relationships. I'm addicted to relationships. So what I want to do for you is this. I want to give you five reasons I believe we have high relationship turnover in our lives. Can I do that for you? Can I do that for you? Can I do that for you? Looking at the text very lightly, I want to give you five reasons that we have high turnover ratio in our lives. Let me give you the five. I'm going to start with five, four, three, two, and then I'm going to leave you with one. One is the most important one. All of them are important, but I want to go five, four, three, two, one. Number five. The fifth reason why we have high turnover ratios in our lives. Number five is we often sacrifice our calling for company. Number four, we often deny the fact that our issue is that we're thirsty. Number three, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give it all to you up front so you already know where we're going. So you won't, you won't even, I'm gonna give it all to you right now. Number three, we like the idea of relationships, but we don't like the ordeal that comes with them. All right, all right. Number two, number two, number two. We often confuse our desire to nurture and heal the other person with our need to heal ourselves. Let me say it again. We often confuse our desire and need to heal someone else with our need to actually heal ourselves. And the, and, and the number one reason why we often have high relationship turnover, the ratio when I look at my, I, I hadn't been in a lot of relationships, look at the relationship turnover. I'm going to tell you why, I'm going to tell you why. We have, number one, we have an underdeveloped and dysfunctional theology of love. So can we do some work? Can we do some work? So we go back to number five and we're looking at this text and we're looking at this woman who was at the well who brought with her a bucket. She comes to this well. She has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus begins to speak with her. But if you continue to listen or read this, this narrative, what happens is after Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah, that bucket she came to the well with, she left it there. She ran back into the town, the village, and she began to tell every single person who what happened when she encountered Jesus and all of the people, including her exes, her booze, the people who she was divorced, even those people, she began to tell them who Jesus was. I 
know y'all judging me because I've been married multiple times. I know y'all gossiping about me, but I want to tell you about Jesus. And the Bible tells us that every single person in the village was transformed because of this woman's testimony. Somebody say her calling. She became an evangelist after she encountered Jesus. That her calling, her calling. Somebody say her calling. She became an evangelist after she encountered Jesus. But one of the reasons why we often have high relationship turnover in our lives is because we sacrifice our calling for company. What do you mean sacrifice our calling for company? If you look at this text, you want to know one thing that's surreal, but it often happens in our lives, is she had been married one, two, three, five times, divorced five times, in a dating relationship, she's a, it is her cuffing season with a man, number six, but this is her very first time having an encounter with Jesus. All right, let me see. Let me sit that right there. She'd been married five times, had given her heart to five different men. And she's now in a situation where she's leasing space in her heart for another man without consulting with the landlord of her heart. And now this is the first time that she has an encounter with Jesus. She developed a habit, and I just said it. She developed a habit of leasing out space in her heart without consulting with the landlord first. She's been married, but yet she never allowed God to be at the very center. Why? Because this is her first time having an encounter with Jesus. And now that she had an encounter with Jesus, I promise the man who's at her house waiting for her to come home, that relationship is about to look totally different because Jesus is at the very center. I, I didn't encounter Jesus. You know what? I'm not settling anymore. I need you to pack your bags. I need you to get out. This is the very first time and many times in our lives when we choose to lease out space in our hearts because we want company. I want company by all means, by any means necessary. I'd rather focus on company than my calling because I put place a premium on people being around me and beat me being cuddled up in cuffing season. I place a premium on having a boo. I place a premium on having someone. I know you don't really love me a whole lot, but I'm just, I'm just glad that you feel a void. He, she sacrifices over and over company for calling. I place a premium on relationship more than I do with Jesus. But when she has an encounter with Jesus, when you have an authentic encounter with the Lord, it changes everything. Calling for company, calling for company. Many times our hunger for marriage outweighs our appetite for more of Jesus. I, I, I want a marriage so bad. And the only thing driving you every day is how can I get the image that I see on social media? More than I can just sit and bask and abide in God's presence, I would much rather be in somebody else's presence so that they can fill the void that I have. Sacrificing our calling for company. Somebody say, I don't need company anymore. Mm -mm. 
Mm-mm. I don't need company. I, I, I don't need company. I need calling. I want to discover my calling. I don't care about the marriage. I don't care about the relationship. If I cannot abide in God's presence, if I cannot exhaust my calling. Number four, number four, we often deny the truth. I'm thirsty. I know. Because if I led this, this message by calling you thirsty, say, you know what, your issue is that you're thirsty. Many of you all would have said, I'm not going to follow. I don't ever want to hear when Isaac is preaching because he called me thirsty. And the fact that he called me thirsty, I am appalled at the fact that Pastor Isaac had the audacity to call me thirsty. Here, here, here. Jesus called this woman thirsty. And it wasn't until she admitted to Jesus that she was thirsty that anything changed. But until I can arrive to a place in my life to identify that there is a void that I'm trying to fill with other commitments, other things, all of the other, other than Jesus, Jesus cannot move. I need to be able to admit there is a void because physiologically speaking, to be thirsty is something that naturally happens. It indicates to you that there, you need more fluids and studies show that when you are thirsty, you don't concentrate. When you are thirsty, it impacts your decision making. And many of us, we're thirsty and the tension with becoming thirsty is that you often make thirsty decisions. And when you make thirsty decisions, you make thirsty mistakes. I'm thirsty, meaning I have a void. And Jesus approaches her and he says, I need you to know that you're thirsty which means you have a deficit in your life and you're trying to fill with everything and anything else. But my darling, I need you to know my child. I need you to know my friend. I need you to know if you're going to succeed, if you're going to be truly happy, I need you to allow me to fill that void. But it's not until she says, you know what? I want that living water so that I will no longer be thirsty. And the problem in the church and the problem, we we, we don't want to, I don't want to say I'm thirsty because I'm going to look. When you confess your thirst, I meaning I have a void. I have a void. I'm trying to feel with television, with entertainment, with friends, with all these activities, with work. I work sun up, sun down because I have a void that I'm trying to fill with everything else. I don't care how many things you buy at the at the department store, there's still a void. I don't care how many relationships you enter into, there's still a void. I don't care if you have a wedding ring on your finger, there can still be a void. And Jesus says, let me fill the void. But you got to admit, I'm thirsty. And many of us, are out here shopping while thirsty. And when you're shopping while thirsty, dating while thirsty, all you do is choose a person who can fulfill that specific thirst and you have all these other things that still need to be addressed. Here's the thing. You have to admit that you're thirsty. I'm thirsty, God. And you know what? 2006 was the very first time that I was able to admit and articulate, God, I have an issue. I don't know how to not be in a relationship. I don't. And somebody said, somebody said, well, I actually hadn't been in a relationship for three years. So that's not my, that's not my issue. I, I haven't been in a relationship for four years, for five years. So I'm not addicted to relationships. That's not my issue. But how often do you think about relationships? 
How often do you weep about relationships? How often do you complain about not being in a relationship? How often does it preoccupy your mind? And here it is. I'm saying to God, God, I didn't realize that the pastor is just, I, I, I need to be in a relationship. All right, keep on, keep on, keep on. All right, so yeah, keep on. Let me give you, let me, let me give you, let me give you number three, number three, number three. We like the idea. Here's a reason why many of us have high turnover rates or ratio in our lives. It's because we fall in love with the idea of relationships until we arrive to a place that realize that relationships requires ordeal. We like the idea of relationships, but not the ordeal that comes with relationships. Yeah, you like the Disney, but you don't like the work. You like the love comes, but you don't like the work. And when you get into that relationship that you've been craving and asking God for, you said yes. And then you realize that that person isn't perfect and that you aren't perfect and that you actually have to work. You actually have to die to self. You actually have to forgive. You actually have to grow up. You actually have to help. Then all of a sudden, ah, I'm bored. I, mm, I don't. Mm -mm. You look at everything wrong with him, everything wrong with her, because relationships require work. And marriage will expose everything inside of you that you have not been giving attention to. Hi, I'm looking at this woman, looking at this woman, this woman at the well. All of the things I'm putting 22 years of ministry experience and 13 years of specifically dealing with relationships on the line. I believe these things to be true because I have dealt with this. I have seen this up close. I have experienced and encountered this. I got two more. This is what I want to lay at your feet. I want to lay at your feet. I'm addicted to relationships. I, I, I need to be in a relationship. All I think about is relationship. It's cupping season and I don't have a boo. December's about to come around and I'm not, I, I, nobody is even looking at me. How do I be found? How can I position myself to be found? I don't know. Everybody else is just, they're, they're getting married. And, and Let me tell you something. There's two things, the last two that I want to lay at your feet of why I believe we have such high relationship turnover rates that I believe applies to this passage, but more so applies to us as well. Number two, we confuse our desire to nurture and heal other people instead of focusing on the fact that we need to heal ourselves. Oh, let me slow it down for you. Let me just, just let, let me, let me. Let me help you. Can I, can, can I help you? Look, look, give me your attention. Somebody say, pay attention, pay attention. Somebody type, pay attention, pay attention. Look, this is important because as I sit across people day in and day out, friends, family, strangers, giving insight, listening to their hearts cry and trying to help them to grow and to proceed and to move forward. This is something that often handicaps us. And, and, and this is something that we don't realize happens more often than not. Watch this. Yes, we often find it easier to heal and to help everybody else instead of finding healing our own self. It's easier to fix other people than to fix my own self. And what... what uh, how does that look in real life, Isaac? Very often, when we are young, what I have discovered and what I have even realized in my own life is we awaken an appetite to be needed. I'm going somewhere. Very often, 
when we are young, it begins in our youth and is reaffirmed even as adults. But when we are young, we often develop an appetite to be needed, right? And sometimes it's our family structure. Sometimes it's our circumstances. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it can be a sickness in the home and I am needed. And so as since I'm needed, I feel important and I feel significant. So I go through my childhood in my home being needed. I'm everything that I need to be for my mom or, or my father. I'm everything I need to be for my siblings. I am an adult and I'm everything. I awaken this appetite of being needed. Somebody say, I like to be needed. And so now I go through my adolescenthood being everything to everybody because I know what it's like to be needed and being needed makes me feel important. It satisfies something deep down on the inside of me that says I'm important. Somebody say, I'm important. But pay, pay attention. We often awaken what I have learned, an appetite in our youth, in our home. Maybe a mother wasn't there, a father wasn't there, maybe they worked long, or maybe there was an addiction, and therefore you had to be an adult before you was an adult, or you had to pick up an extra responsibility. Maybe you were the parents to your siblings, but you have to be needed, and being needed makes you feel important, and you don't even realize, I'm, I need to be needed. And now that I leave home as a young adult, watch this, I have this desire to be needed because it was awakened in my youth. But that same desire to need to be needed is also the very thing that causes me to be depleted. I'm, 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 I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to go somewhere. So now I pursue relationships because I'd like to be needed because I was taught indirectly at home that I need to be needed. So when someone needs to be fixed, when somebody needs me to step up, when somebody needs me to do something, I, I, I'll do it because I need to be needed. But although I need to be needed, it also depletes me. And so now you're at war with yourself because I, I, I see that relationship. I, I'll be I, I, you're in the relationship. And now you're assuming every responsibility because you need to be needed. And that started when you were younger, but although you need to be needed, this same relationship is depleting you. Somebody say that's codependency. Ooh, hold on. Hold on. That's codependency. Something nobody ever talked to me about. What? I need to be needed. So I seek relationships that need me to be something specific to them. And I remain in those relationships because I need to be needed. Because if I enter into a relationship where I can just actually be a normal person, I have a low self-esteem because I, I, I need to be needed. And if I'm not working and fixing and building and, and making him or her my home improvement project, then I'm not useful. But you have a desire to be needed, an appetite that was awakened when you were young, but you don't know the fact that I need to be needed. It also depletes me. And so now most of us, many of us, what ends up happening is that we wrestle with codependency. Many times this starts when we were young and we don't realize it. And so now what we tend to do, even in this number two, is we have a tendency to fix people. We have a tendency to be everything to people, although it depletes us. It hurts us, but we stay because it makes us feel like we're needed. And so now this codependent relationship, this thing that I deal with is so dysfunctional, but I stay. I'm needed. 
but I'm depleted. Somebody type, I'm needed, but I'm depleted. And you become so infuriated in the relationship because you know in your heart that you, you deserve you know, reciprocity, but, but you like the fact that, that you need it. If, if I don't do this, then he, he, won't, he won't be better. If, if I don't help her, then, then she won't be a, who? You're not God. Watch this. So it says, so it says, we confuse our desire to nurture and heal other people instead of focusing on the fact that we need to be healed ourselves. But number one, can I, can I park my car here? Number one, why we have high relationship turnover. Somebody say, I'm going to break this addiction with the power of God. The power of the spirit of God, I'm going to break my desire, my pre, my preoccupation, my, oh, um, just me focusing on relationships. No, I need to focus on the Lord. But number one reason that we often have high relationship turnover, classes in session, is because we have an underdeveloped and dysfunctional theology of love. Even connecting with the recent point. We often leave home as young adults, emotionally underdeveloped. I don't care if you come from a home with a mother and a father, only a father, only a mother, neither. Nobody is perfect. We understand love at home. We're taught what love looks like at home, even from an infant, a child, a toddler, we are taught what love looks like. And it is reinforced as we become older in our home. And then we leave home with an understanding that this is what love looks like. I'm supposed to be everything to everyone. Love hurts. Love does not have boundaries. Love cannot say no because I could not, I could never say no to my parents. I could never say no to my family. And so now we leave home as these young adults thinking that this is what love looks like because my parent was an alcoholic and I had to be the husband and I had to be the big brother and I had to be the uncle. Then apparently when I enter into relationships, I need to be the husband. I need to be the daddy. I need to be the uncle. I need to be everything because that's what love says. You should wear every single hat in your wardrobe in order to make the other person happy. I, that's how love taught me this. Somebody say, I need to develop a healthier theology of love, love, love. So that's why whenever I sit down with someone and I'm, and I'm counseling and I'm, and I'm coaching and I'm listening to them, I ask them three questions. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your relationships with your parents. And tell me about the trauma that you can remember. And when they give me the answers to these three questions, I begin to learn everything that I need to know. Let me help you. Let me help you with this. Many a times we, we arrive to a place in our lives where we're always everything for everyone at the expense of being who we need to be for ourselves. Just listen, just listen. What is the relationship with your parents? Tell me about your childhood. What trauma do you remember? Then all of a sudden, you're understanding the theology of what love looks like. Love is not abusive. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, love has boundaries. Let me help you. Love actually says no. 
And many times we walk away from our homes as young adults with an asterisk. We, we never remember or think to put an asterisk beside love and say, hey, I know I experienced love like this at home, but this is not the fullness of love. We don't know. So next we go into relationships and there's two things that we do. Let me help you. When we enter into our first relationship, when we enter into relationships after we leave home, we do one of two things. We either replicate what our parents did, or we overcompensate for what they did not do. See, I just released you right there. I just released you. I just released you. There's two things that we do. We replicate what they did, or we overcompensate for what they did not do. And if they didn't do this, I'm going to do the very opposite of what my parents and what my family did, and then we think that's what love is. Okay, let me give this to you then. We understand love. We begin to gain an understanding of love in our childhood, in our adolescence, in our infancy, even as a toddler. We begin to have a view and develop a theology of what love looks like. And we carry that throughout our adulthood until we arrive to a place. God, I'm thirsty. I, I need you to help to transform my understanding because this is not what love looks like. Many of us, I don't, I'm not going to do what my parents did. And you replicate exactly what you saw your parents did or you do the exact the opposite. I, I'm talking to my own self. But let me help you. It was in 1958. John Bowlby. He developed this um, a terminology called attachment theories. I'm not going to go into all the details, but I, I, I need to help you with this. He, devel he developed something called attachment theories. This is a terminology in psychology that begins to impact and, and talk about how we learn love as a, a child. And how we learn love from our parents impacts our romantic relationships. That's, that's the premise. How we learn love from our parents when we are children impacts our relationships as adults. And he says there are four different ways, three really, that we attach to other people based on how we love and how, how we, we enter into a relationship. There are four, three or four different ways we relate and we have a personality or we communicate with people based upon what we saw in our childhood. Attachment theories, attachment theories says this is how love is based on what I was taught. And, and there, there, there's, there's three. Let me give it to you. Let me give it to you. There is the fearful avoidant. There is the anxious preoccupied. There is the dismissive avoidant. And then there is the secure attachment. And so we all, the argument is this, we all have a specific attachment that we practice based on our understanding of love when we came from home. I know somebody's already arguing. And you can't tell, listen, there is a specific way that we communicate and we enter into relationships based on what we experience as a child. And when you think about the fearful avoidant, the fearful avoidant, these are the children, even and even as adults, who as a child, when you encountered love, love was painful. Even when you got close and even when you were at a distance. And so for you, you are afraid. Many people who have a fearful of avoiding attachment, you're afraid to get close 
and you're afraid to be at a distance. You you really want you want to be in a relationship. You want love until it comes to your doorstep and you find every reason to sabotage it. Every reason that that person is not right. Every reason. But soon as that person is long, I, 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 I really want to be in a relationship. You sabotage it, but you desire it. You don't know. And for you, love as a child was painful. It was painful as a child. So for you, you 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 want Love, you want a relationship, but when it comes near you, you are afraid. You're, you're afraid to be close to love and you're afraid to be too far from love. You, you, you're afraid of abandonment because you, when you experienced love as a child, it was painful. Whatever that was, whatever that pain you experienced for you, when you think about love, pain is always attached to love. When you think about the anxious preoccupied, the anxious preoccupied are those, when they think about love, love is inconsistent. And so you think about anxious, preoccupied. Those are those people who they, they're often clingy. And when they're in relationship, they always need affirmation. They always need to know that you're not going to leave. They always need to know you're going to be there because they're afraid that you're going to leave. Because when they were young, parents left. They were not there emotionally or physically. And so for them, they're always afraid to some degree that you will leave. So this is why the anxious preoccupied, they, they, they don't like to argue in relationships because if they argue, they think they're going to upset you. And if they upset you, that means you're going to leave. So they much rather say yes. They much rather do exactly what you ask and they, they're not going to get too upset. They're not going to tell you how they feel because if I tell you how I feel, then it's going to remind me what my daddy did when my, when my daddy got in an argument with my mom. He will always leave. And when he left, then my mom was always sad. And so I don't want my dad to leave. I don't want you to leave. So I'm not going to argue with you. And I'm always anxious and I always need you to affirm me and I always need you to reassure me because I'm anxious. So I, I, I want love, but I was always taught that love you, it's just inconsistent. It's, and, and, and I just, I, I can't trust. I get trust issues. I, I, just, I just don't know if you're going to be here and I don't know if you're going to leave. I just, I just don't know. But then you have the dismissive avoided. Those are those where I realized that I had, I had more similarities to and the Lord has helped me to walk out of that. The dismissive avoidance are those, when you say love, they say love is something that you can do without. Because with dismissive avoidance, those are those when they were young, they were so used to the people who loved them not being there for them. So they had to learn at a young age to be everything for themselves because the people who were supposed to love on them dropped them and left them. So as a result, they teach themselves, I don't really need love. I can do without love. So these people, when you enter into a relationship with them, they always keep you at a distance. You don't always know what's going on in their mind. And they'll tell you in a heartbeat, I need some space. And they always need some space. And you're like, but, but what, what, what do you need space for me? And, and then if you're anxious, preoccupied and you're trying to talk to somebody who's dismissive avoiding y'all always clashing because you need to be clung clinging to him and he needs he needs space from you hold on i know it's a whole lot you're like what is he talking about i'm saying to you is this it's very simple many times we don't even recognize that how i view love needs development how I view love, my understanding of love is warped. You can go to church all day. You can hear messages all day until you allow God access into your inner being and to begin to shift your mindset and what you think to be true. Because many times I can preach, I can sing in the choir, I can do all that and still don't think I'm worthy because my mama said I wasn't worthy. My daddy said I wasn't worthy and what I experienced. And so as a result, I can't even enter into a relationship because I will sabotage it. Somebody needs to know that God needs full access.
access to your heart, to your mind, because there's some thinking and some understanding and some beliefs that are keeping you from entering into it. You don't care about no cuffing season. You want to be the best you for when God brings about the spouse that he has for you. Somebody says, listen, listen, I've been married five, five times and not one time was God at the very center of it right now. I know five reasons why we have such high turnover rates, the turnover ratio in my life. And even if I'm not in a relationship, I'm always thinking about a relationship. Lord, I need my mind to be an audience of one. That's you. God, I want to fall in love with you. God, if my calling is to be an evangelist and to tell people the goodness of God, help me to fall in love with you. I know, God, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my age and I need to be married and I need to have children and my plan for my life has not, has not gone the way I wanted to go. Help me to become preoccupied, not with what I want for my life and all the things that I want to scratch off my list, but to be in love with who you are. In the name of Jesus, she teaches us, this woman teaches us, these are reasons why we have so many relationship breakdowns, high relationship turnover. You can hear the message all day until you allow the message to come into your heart and say, you know what, God, I'm going to do something different. I didn't realize that my trauma is still dictating how I do relationships. What someone said to me in my childhood is still dictating how I see myself. And God, until I begin to let you into my life and shift what I think in the very inside of my heart, God, ain't nothing going to change. So I speak over your life today. On today, that covenant the devil made with your ears, it's broken. The dysfunctional thinking, it's broken. The cycle's broken. Today, I speak over your life, the power of God in your life on today. Nothing, it will not be the same. I don't care what happened in the past relationship. I don't care what happened in the divorce. I don't care what's taking place in your marriage right now. In the name of Jesus, God can transform everything. He can transform you. All you have to do is give God access. This is what the woman said. Lord, I don't, I'm thirsty and I want what you have. You have permission to give me the water that will change my life. That's it. God, I'm acknowledging that I'm thirsty. Something needs to change. And it begins with me. God, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. Right now, God, we pause to reflect upon your goodness. God, we thank you for loving us more than we love ourselves. God, we thank you for this word. And we pray, God, that you divide this word up 100, 200, 300, 1,000 different ways so that it can meet the needs of all of your people around the world. God, in the name of Jesus. We speak life over our own selves. We bind, we rebuke, we cast down the enemy from our lives, from our relationships, from our marriages, so that, God, we give you full authority and access over our inner being. Today, God, our lives change. We bless you, and God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name.
Amen. Listen, we appreciate you all for tuning in. I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. Please do me a favor and make sure that you subscribe to both of these channels of Redefine TV, Facebook, and YouTube. May God be with you.